You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today, it's Tanya Moore. I'm very pleased to be bringing you this episode with Tanya. She is a fantastic comic, a really, uh, what's the word? She's such a good host. She's such a great compare of a show. And I think sometimes with uh, with comics, to call them a good compare, they might regard that as a bit insulting. But uh, in Tanya's own words, she doesn't really want to be a stand-up. So uh, we'll talk about that in some detail. And we'll also talk about the incredible coup that she's pulled off, appearing on Mock the Week earlier this year without having so much as debuted at Edinburgh and you'll be able to hear the sounds of comedians up and down the country weeping when she gets to that bit but then of course the uh, you've got the other end of that which is now she's got to do a debut once she's already got a bit of profile and there's going to be lots of eyes on her so loads of stuff to talk about really really fun conversation uh, no extras this week but you can as ever go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get ad-free episodes all of the extra content from all of the shows that have them and entrance to the insiders club for as little as two pounds a month or as much as you'd like now enough of that this is tanya moore welcome to the show tanya moore thank you i mean mama i made it (laughs) (laughs) yes i will i'll be listen if your mum listens i'll be thrilled (laughs) that's how i know i've got i'm really i'm broadening the base getting some mums on board um it's great to have you. And we gigged together uh, two, two weekends ago now. It was two yeah, or three weeks ago. We had a ago. wonderful weekend at Top Secret. And then you very kindly gave me, a, me and my friend Tom a lift home in your fabulous car. <laughs> and, uh, and we just had a great conversation. And I thought, I wish I'd recorded this. This is it. So now we have to try and reprise that conversation I mean... that we had without it feeling stagey. <laughs> Let's let's start with Top Secret, because yeah. you're someone like our relationship as comics is that I often see you there. I think they're more more than anywhere else. I've bumped into you. I don't. I, there's a lot I don't know about you. I don't know how long you've been going. I, I've sort of recognised you coming into the orbit of, of comedy. Um, but you're one of those people who has a sort of just like there is the sort of the 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 siblinghood of comedy through which we are all connected but more than that there's this whole kind of energy you've got which is kind of so warm you're one of those people i feel like i've known for ages thank you i like you you, well i'm glad to hear it and you employ that on stage very deftly because you are and i believe i can quote (laughs) chortle here in saying that you're a quintessential comedy store mc yes because you have um you are just able to kind of wield that warmth and make everyone fall in love with you whilst respecting you. 
Yes. So shall we talk Whilst about I that? Attack them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, it, what, what do we do? Where do we start? How long have you been doing comedy? It's nine and a half years now. Okay. Yeah. And, so I've been and going was that always on the mainstream circuit? Because I think your first award finals was on the black circuit. Yeah, but I started on the mainstream circuit. Okay. And then I found my way into the black circuit, won okay. the awards. But I definitely was of the ilk where I wanted to just make everybody laugh. So I wanted to do all stages and I wanted to be on all circuits. Sure. So in my first two years, it was important for me to try everything. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so what was the, what was the, going right back to then, what was the kind of the motivating factor for you to start doing stand-up? You know, there wasn't really a motivating factor. I still am not a fan of stand-up. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know when we were going to get onto this, but it was the Straight most exciting away, yeah. thing you said. Yeah, yeah um, go for it. It's still one of the least fun things I do that I do. And it was, it's just that I started dancing when I was three and then started doing acting, actually bits when I was seven. And then I, that ran all the way until I was probably about 20. Started doing some hosting for this dance company that I worked for. And then one day I was like, oh, I just need a break. And then I started missing the stage. And mm-hmm. I was walking past this uh, theatre in New Cross and it said, you can do stand-up courses. And my friend was like, why don't you try it? And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Now here we are. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to infuriate anybody who knows you as Tanya Moore from Mock the Week. And is thinking, yeah! like, wow! <laughs> Oh my god! And this just is, what's your part in spaces? <laughs> yes, is this? Is it like we're looking at this going? Is this Zen? Are you free from desire, and that is kind of making everything happen because you're not chasing it? Because that is a very unusual position on stand up. Like, don't watch it, not fussed. Yeah, just wanted some stage time. And yeah. when people do feel like that, they never admit it. Oh God, I, I think it's wrong to lie. I think people can tell when you're fibbing. It's just better to be honest, and I think they appreciate the honesty because. I won't have to then remember what I said to you. I can just tell you the same story again and again because it's the truth. Yes, good point. You know? Good point. So, so tell me, so you, you saw the sign for the thing in New Cross and did a course? Yes, did a course uh, that lasted for three Sundays, took okay. up three Sundays. My showcase was at Up the Creek, so that was the first stage that I graced to do comedy. Um, that first show was wonderful because it was a welcoming audience and they, they knew what we were there to do. Oh, yeah. the, Let's the, trick the newbies into thinking comedy right, is nice. because the second yeah. show was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the second show, I say, was the first show of yeah. real comedy. Um, and, yeah, it just kind of went from there, really. I just really, I'm very much like, if I put my mind to something, I really want to do it. Yeah. So I'd already, you know, bought into the idea that I'm going to do stand-up. So I just kept going. And what does that mean, buying into the idea that you're going to do stand-up? What does that mean for someone who isn't a fan of stand-up, particularly? Well, I don't want it to beat me. I've got this really insane need to win stuff all the time. But I was it was a challenge, and I wanted to really rise to the challenge. I mean, I'm still rising to the challenge as I speak. I don't think I'm the world's best comedian, but I think I'm, I understand the craft and I'm working on it. And what is the nature of the challenge to you? Being able to craft a really good, intelligent, funny joke that that anybody who listens to it can respond to, resonate with, understand and find funny. That's the challenge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how does that sit with your natural ability? Because I guess, and I'm just, I'm, I'm supposing here that when you started doing the course, you walked on stage and were a natural from, from the off. Yeah, because I have my dad's personality. He's a showboat. He just loves showing off. Okay. And I think... What it did with my natural outgoing personality is gave me a craft and gave me a way to make it um, palatable, 
shall I say. Okay. Or um, how do you say it? It wasn't when I had it before stand up, it was just all over the place. It was just what it was. And now I've managed to put it inside, not so much a box, but put it in a place that everyone can enjoy it. That's how Are I feel. there any? Are there and this is this is a this is a second half an hour of the interview question rather than a first, <laughs> but we'll get right into it. Yeah. Are there any disadvantages for you in having enough personality that people like you straight away? Yes. Because so for example, I host a lot. So then they always they always come up to you afterwards and they're like, Oh my god, you should have a bit, like you should do stand up. And I think to myself, <laughs> I do do stand up. Yeah. It's just that what you enjoy today was me in the raw form. So I'm just in the room. I don't really do material when I'm hosting. I talk to my audience and I banter. When it's material, you have to stay within these confined lines, which makes it incredibly less funny than me being in the room with you and having these moments with these people. So the pressure then becomes like, I want to be able to give them that same feeling when I do stand up as well, which I think might be an impossible reach because when you're doing stand-up, you're not in the room, you're create, you're bringing stories to them and you're dragging them into your world. When I host, I'm in the room, so whatever happens, they're all laughing right now about what just happened right now. Yeah. That That's different. I don't think I'm yeah. ever going to match that, but I keep trying. <laughs> and there are, there's, there's, I mean, there's lots of kind of offshoots of that argument. Something I think I found is as when I, by the time I came to stand-up, I had lots of road miles as a performer. Yeah. And I think I, probably what I wonder now not so much at the time but I wonder now whether that slightly blunted me like I really had to go I've got to knuckle down and write because I can sort of get away with bonhomie do you mean I can get away they like me they trust me and I can wing it yes and and that's often more attractive winging it than sitting down and doing the work oh god yes preaching to the choir (laughs) I learned that I learned that when I first got one of my first jonglers 20 minutes and I was like oh 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 you can't banter with the audience oh you have to actually just do 20 minutes of material okay I came here with 10 (laughs) yeah (laughs) and 10 minutes of personality and it was then when I was like okay I've really got to sit down with this now so now like being hired by clubs is kind of almost validating a little bit to say I can do it and I shouldn't be so scared of it but I'll be honest I'm still a bit scared of sitting down and writing I know it's one of those things that I know I can do it just takes me ages to find that gold you know some people sit down and they're like gold 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 like I think Athena could blend you could look at a paper bag and make nine jokes I would take (laughs) nine years to make one great joke yeah 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 so I just I Something we'll get onto writing in a sec, but just something I've remembered is that when I was a much more kind of chatty driven act than I am now, I would really, I'd always kind of ease my way into a room with chat at the start of a set. And I remember there are certain MCs out there, I think of Rob Collins in particular, who, or uh, like Charlie Baker, Jerry Christmas, big chatty guys. And when they, when they were emceeing, if I was opening, I'd be thinking, oh God, I don't know how I'm going to talk my way in now because they have rinsed all the chat. They've done yeah. it like brilliantly. No disrespect to them at all. But I'm like, oh, they've made it such that there's not much to say or point out to get yeah. myself in. Has that ever come up for you? Oh, all the time. In the early days, oh, 100%. But now I have like openings. I use what they do. Does that make sense? Go so on. if they if they start and they're having a chat and there's like one or two people in particular, I'll run off the back of that. Okay. So then it doesn't make me scared. I can still have my chat at the beginning. So let's say we're on stage and you're in the front audience and, you know, the host is having a banter with you. He'll bring me on and I'll be like, oh, my God, so Stu, talk to me. 
And yeah, I just sure, go, do you know sure, what I mean? Sure. So I'm still in the room with it and then I can go into my material. Yes. You just yes, run off the back of that. <laughs> and that's funny, actually, just the way you do that then, just stew talk to, talk me. to me that's like, really ah, that's yeah. your tone your tone yeah. and it's not just warmth but it's it's kind of very deliberate i guess deliberately very open-ended and yeah. you've got and this thing that you say a lot socially as well as on stages i love that for you yeah. you know what i mean you've got that kind of what is who do you think you are to us are you their kind of their sister or their mum or their I go with flirting best friend. with them what's what's the thing okay i go with best friend because um when i did um training in the early days after the course i had a mentor called mr c and he said one thing to me that I've never forgotten. I know that name. Is he yes. a Black Circuit act? Yes. Is he, does he do he mainstream is. as well? I know his he name. He does but do I don't mainstream think as well. And he teaches at the um, comedy school as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So cool. he uh, said one thing to me that I've never forgotten. He said, when you go on stage, everybody in the audience, picture walking into your best friend's house, the house you go to the most, and yeah. everyone in the audience is that best friend. Gotcha. So before I go on stage, I like to be by myself. I just get into my head and I just think about one of my friends' house who I used to go to all the time and her name's Joanna. And I just go in there and I'm like, it's Joanna's house and everyone's Joanna. And so I just talk to everyone like, we're at Joanna's house or we're in the pub and we're just having chat and that's it. It's just chat. No one, no one, I don't owe anyone anything. I'm not the comedian all the time, especially when I'm hosting. Yeah. So um, there's no onus on me to be funny. Just could be myself and I can, I could okay. do that. And do you, and I'm I'm harking back to a very specific gig, which I spoke about on last week's podcast that happened uh, on last Friday night when I walked into a very hostile environment. Oh. <laughs> so is it like, are you still able to do that head game on yourself about Joanna's house yeah. when the room is either nakedly hostile or, you yeah. know, Christmas gig, they've run out of dinners, those kind of environments, you know, well, when yeah, something's because- gone wrong? Every time you walk into your best friend's house, you don't know what, what day she's had. So sometimes you do go there when she's had a bad day. Sometimes you go there when she's had a good day. Sometimes you go there to her, like Joanna's got children. Sometimes she just needs relief. So for me, it's just what is Joanna's day like today? Match that and go from there. I know that I'm good at my friends call me when they have a bad day and they don't want to talk about it. They just want someone to be an idiot for 10 minutes. Hi. Hi. Team yeah. idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's that's something that I have. And maybe that helps me when I'm hosting, but I'm very good at just being silly in, in serious moments to just lighten the mood. Yes. So, or it's what I find is the best thing to do is talk about it. So if I go on stage and it's tense, I'm like, well, it's, it's tense in there, isn't it? Bloody hell, we farted. Yeah, you know, yeah, don't, yeah. don't hide from it. It's there. So talk about it. Everyone's feeling it. Let's get it off our chest. Otherwise, it remains the elephant in the room and no one can get over it. You yes, can't right. get past the moment. For sure. Talk about everything. Even if you mess up, oh my God, what an idiot am I? I'm an, I'm an idiot. It's fine. It's on me, but let's talk about it so we can get over it and move on. This is a this is a beginner's guide and an, and an <laughs> intermediate guide to to MCing. Let's just stick with that now. Just in terms of tone, what other principles are there for you? What other what what maybe? I mean, if you have kind of principles in mind of like what makes a good MC or what you like to see as an MC, or maybe another way of attacking that would be when has it gone wrong for you, and why? What sort of what sort of pitfalls do you fall into, and why? I think what I don't like as an MC that I really pride myself on is don't go on there and be a comedian. It's not your job to be the comedian. Don't go on there and say, hi, my name's Tanya Moore, and then bang into material. That's not my job. And also your material might not work because they're bloody freezing cold at that point because your job is to warm up the room so you can introduce the comedians, Mm -hmm. right? It's not for you to go on there and start testing out material. You might kill the room and then the whole night's dead because you wanted to be selfish. 
You're not the comedian. You're the it's, host. It's really interesting to hear such a, a kind of um, a definite take on that because yeah. I totally know where you're coming from. I, other opinions are available. Yeah. I remember. I always remember Marty McLean, who's a, a, a Canadian actor. I think it was in the UK years ago when I was kind of getting turning pro. And he always said as the MC, and this is maybe a Canadian perspective, he said you want to do a good job but not a great job because you want to be invited back to do a set so he'd go he'd say exactly that he'd say hi welcome to the show my name's Martin we clean the toilet so there's going to be two breaks and then bang into material okay. so that was like right the other end of it because his thing was I don't want to be a host all my life I'm an act right so do you well, how do you I don't know I'm, I don't... I'm much much rather host <laughs> <laughs> well this this comes so this to the other we live in different spectrums yeah <laughs> this, is the, this comes to the other big secret of Tanya Moore she doesn't yeah. want to be a comedian we'll get to that <laughs> I'd much rather, I think, I don't know, I'd much rather be myself in every space than go there and have to be within any confines of any lines. And mm-hmm. I just, I prefer, yeah, just being myself. Not that I can't do it with material, but with material, I've got to drag you into this story, drag you into this world. Whereas, like I said before, when I'm hosting, we just talk about what's happening right now. And that means, presumably, if you pursue that, the people I'm most jealous jealous of in comedy are improvisers because they yeah. never have to sit down and write. You just go, I'm funny. I'll just walk in and be myself and everything will be fine. And then the rest yeah. of the day, I'll play a lot of golf or whatever yeah. it is. Or I'm building a house. <laughs> or do you know what I mean? I'll be watching your housewives of Atlanta, mind you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So when does, it, when does it not work then? When have you, when have you misread a situation or misstepped or done something wrong? Can you think of clangers that you've dropped as an instance? Yeah, in my early days, I was, I was, um, I did hear that thing where you have to be a host and you have to try material and you have to do all these different things. So earlier on when I st- first started emceeing, I would do that. I would try material. I would do the things that I didn't feel natural to me, but that's what I was told to do mm-hmm. by people who were, you know, essentially better than me. So you listen to them, don't you? You do trial and error. And there were lots of times where I went on stage and then I'd get them going with the personality stuff and the chat. Then I'd try and do material and then it would just dip. I mean, at that time, you could just argue that the material wasn't there. But what I'm saying is, is it's just that it didn't work for me the way that hosting works for me now. And mm-hmm. everyone's different, right? Hosting works differently for everybody. And then sometimes I find material from being in the room. So then I'll just take that and then I'll write off the back of that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's I've had many experiences where I go to rooms. I mean, I'm not a fan of Bath. Anybody who's listened to any podcasts that I've done before, <laughs> I bloody hate the place, right? And I'll tell you why. It's, it, aesthetically, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. The people there are probably really nice. They're just shit audience members, okay? <laughs> they laugh like this. <laughs> and then at the end, they come up to you, they bombard you. And they're like, oh my God, that was so funny. And I'm like, oh my God, no way. <laughs> why didn't you laugh? Like, we were laughing. We just don't want to embarrass ourselves with loud, loud laughter. Sir, you are not a comedy audience. Stop wasting yes. our time. Okay. When I talk, I'm not going to Bath, Stu. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I should defend Bath simply by saying often the comedy audiences in Bath aren't from Bath, they're tourists. Oh, and they're from, and they're God, from Sorry, Bath. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a problem with Canesham because some builders there tried to kill me another time. Anyway, um, so that's... Okay, so you've got you've got the energy and you walk on and you know that it'll work. Now, I'm thinking of other people that I regard as brilliant MCs. And one of the things people do is to, and by people, I mean Martin Davis. I don't know if okay. you ever overlap with him. He's not, I don't think he's working in the UK anymore. But yeah. he has this incredible style of MCing, which I would call modular, whereby he has 
brilliant punchy bits like closer 20 kind of punchy stuff and it'll hook into whatever he's talking about he'll he'll be able to say he's got i don't know however many bits um he'll ask any question knowing that one of his bits will hook onto the end of it there are other MCs who who give the appearance of having chat but actually the whole thing's a script which is um which, which is a style in itself and um all choices are valid and uh, if I say all choices are valid, then I think you get to you get to yeah. hear my secret opinion. But I I just I think it's a shame sometimes when people give the illusion of having a real conversation, and then you see them again, and you go, oh, that was an illusion. But what it does provide them is absolutely guaranteed big laughs in a pressure gig when you're emceeing, and maybe taking risks is less of a an option. How much of a risk do you regard it when you're having actual genuine? bubbling over banter like if you're emceeing the store and you're like oh a lot of people watching this say industry and whatever those kind of environments do you feel as comfortable walking on and just chatting well i don't ever think anyone's in the audience to watch me from the industry so i never go on stage thinking about anyone being there i, I never it was a surprise to get the um, review from steve I, it didn't cross my mind that he would be there sure. i just don't think that anyone's going to be there i just genuinely go on and think to myself I need to get this audience and there's like a handful of things that I always do that I know the audience are going to enjoy so I have those handful of things you know in my back pocket that I use you know, can you give us an, can you give us an example of one of them yeah going on stage and no matter what round amount of applause they give me to me it's not good enough for sure okay, you've got good. to do it again and when, when I come back on, I want all of it because you're going to pretend that you pay to come here and I'm going yeah, to pretend yeah. that I'm being paid to be here and we're going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. That's such a lovely bit because it's so self-deprecating <laughs> whilst also not humble at all. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 great, lovely. It's like a really nice way of being like, you lot, get involved. <laughs> yes, for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. When it comes to kind of hostile elements say hecklers what have you like i saw you deal with some people at top secret the other weekend i mean just so beautifully but are there particular things that like one of my i tell you one one of my weaknesses as as an act and an mc is if anyone ever does the kind of move on gesture like move like kind of assumes that massive directorial status like uh, move on mate i basically it's like calling marty mcfly chicken i just kind of lose my temper and as soon as i lose my temper i'm like fuck i've lost the argument are there do you have kind of vulnerabilities that are there particular no, things no because that in that moment you? if someone says to me move on you've got i've got to switch it and i'll be like well so i didn't know you were the boss i didn't know you were the manager you know i don't come to your job and tell you to move on there's ways that you can like play that and still make it work for you for sure like, but for me it's I just like that they've awkward... lit the touch paper like i'm aware i'm like oh, oh i should i should say something friendly now or i should <laughs> knock them or i should do a gag but i'm too busy fucking grinding my teeth to a powder <laughs> for me it's really funny i find anyway and normally most of the audience not all the time but most of the audience find it funny when someone's like move on i do a thing where i cover the mic and i pretend like i'm whispering and i yeah, turn yeah. away from them and i look at someone else and i'm like oh my god they feel really awkward they don't want to talk to me but now that means I want to talk with them more. <laughs> <laughs> lovely. And so that's lovely. I, I mean, go back and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessive, you know, you've, you've done this. I didn't do it. You did it. It's not me. That's great. Do you know? That's great. And I love the, just throwing it to someone else. And that. Yeah. It's all, so all of this stuff to me seems so natural. Like these things, you haven't sat down and thought about any of this stuff, I guess, yeah. so much as it's happened and you've riffed it and it worked and you've built on it and what have you. Exactly. That's exactly well, it. Let's talk about the other side of the coin then in terms of the live work, mm-hmm. which is the writing. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> this will be a quick conversation. 
how much? I mean, and this is we should point out as well. This is, I mean, I don't know that it's unique for the podcast, but you're in a very unusual situation whereby you've done mock, you haven't debuted, you've no. not done an hour yet. No. Were you going to in 2020? Was that the I plan? was going to in 2020? That was the plan. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, knowing you as I do, that would be an easy thing to say, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did. I went to Edinburgh 2019. Did the half hour with Sean Davies, gotcha. who was just okay. fantastic, and then um, was planning to do the full debut in 2020. A okay. uh, little thing happened in the world. Not sure if you know, but there was a whole like lockdown moment, and then sure. we couldn't do anything. But then also, um, it's going to sound really bad, but George died, and then everyone was like, "Oh my god, there's black people in the world," and so my agent was like, "Let's run with this, Tan," and we fucking did. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, we talked about that socially, and I've heard you talk about that on stage as well in the Clapham Grand. That, yes. uh, that's on on YouTube. I saw you kind of briefly cover that, and that's that's. I think it's really interesting that you say that so kind of nakedly, mm-hmm. like that's you know this is a, a tragic world, a tragic event which created or kind of boosted a global movement. To mm-hmm. what extent do you think that you then started to experience a kind of a career? Uh, like a if not a boost or a, a bit of a, a wind in your sails. To what extent do you think that represents a meaningful desire of uh, the tastemakers to change? And to what extent do you think it's a kind of fashionable thing whereby people in dark rooms went shit? We better have more black people on our lineups. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it did really well in twenty twenty. It was a massive rush. As all fads go, it started to die down. <clears throat> I genuinely believe that whilst there are a lot of people in the industry who genuinely are, let's invite everybody to the table, mm-hmm. there are still a lot of people at the tops of, it, of of hierarchies that are very much like, okay, that's gone now, let's go back to normal. Okay. I think it really takes somebody who's really talented and whose talent you can't deny to stay in the room. So, you know, when we were talking about the blagging, if I was still a blagger, I wouldn't still be considered, for sure. I think it's the fact that there's something there that they know you can't deny that I should be in this room. And so I still get invited back to spaces, right? Mm -hmm. We're still fighting to enter some spaces, which I don't think is entirely racial. It's just the business sometimes. It's just not your cycle. It's not your cycle, right? You just got to wait for your turn. And there's some places where you're like, okay, yes, I'm not ready for that yet. Or, you know, there's people ahead of me that deserve this space right now and then I'll get the next batch. Mm -hmm. But there are still some spaces where it's like, if I was white and from Bath, (laughs) maybe I would already be there, you know, and I wouldn't have to work so hard. And what kind of, I mean, you can identify them or allude to them, but what kind of spaces are we talking about? Do you mean TV? Do you mean particular TV gigs, spaces, gigs or... some gigs, not so much corporate gigs, because with the corporate gigs, I think that's heavily dependent on the promoter more yep. than it is the corporation, because mm-hmm. they hire one person and that person has to bring a lineup, right? And I work with a lot of people who do corporate gigs, so I do quite a few corporate gigs. So I wouldn't even say it's corporate gigs as such. I would say it's more TV and possibly some clubs. Mm-hmm. They're just not fans of people with melanin. (laughs) To to what extent do you think that is a kind of... What's the feel to you as to whether that is a policy decision by a racist, by a racist, or... And and if on the spectrum is one end and you've got a racist promoter, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who are just doing the easiest, taking the easiest route and inviting their mates and their mates all happen to be people like them. 
Right. Like, what, how does it feel kind of industrially? Where, what's the balance? I think it's, it, yeah, that's, it's, I think it's all over. I think you've got racist promoters. You've got people that are very, well, they're just going to come. And say, when you come, just don't talk about black stuff. And it's like, oh, so don't talk about myself. That's, mm-hmm. but everybody mm-hmm. else can talk about themselves. And, you know, you've got, there's a lot of what I consider white comedians, especially the men who make jokes about fucking their mum. That's more appropriate than me talking about being black. That, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to fuck a kid. That's more appropriate than, like, the punchline is me having sex with a child. That's more appropriate than me just saying, well, I'm black and this happened one time. That's that's mm-hmm. that's crazy, right? You don't put any limits to them coming and being wild and having these perspectives. Be it a joke or not, you don't put any limits on it. But there's limits on black people. And that's a problem. And then you've got the people who are just inviting their friends, but all their friends look like them. And it's like, maybe you... Your friend circle's a little bit bland. I mean, maybe you might want to, you know, extend your friend circle or even just extend a little bit of the space. No one's saying replace all of your friends all of the time, but don't you want to have different views on stage? Don't you want to have different bird's eye views of life? Like, don't mm-hmm. you want that? And if you don't, you should question yourself as to why you don't want that. In black, in, in on the black scene, everyone's invited. Everybody. There's no no space that a white person or somebody who's not black even another person of color can go to in a black comedy scene and be rejected we welcome everybody because comedy is comedy that's it doesn't matter where you come from just be funny that's it so why can't that be everywhere why can't that be on the mainstream yeah it's it the, i think i totally agree with you but i think the the answer that a lot of promoters seem to give when i see these conversations on facebook is hey funny's funny right you know, and it feels like they're employing the same argument, yeah. but without an awareness, without a kind of an outside eye going, sure, funny's funny, but the 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 like the the pot of acts from which you're selecting mm. doesn't represent all available acts. Well, here's my thing: is that what kill, kills me is when promoters say, "I just don't think my audience will laugh at you." But when you go there, they laugh at us the hardest because our point of view is so different; it's one they've never heard before, and it tickles a different rib. Yeah. It's just insane. You're being silly. Funny's to what funny. Ex- to what extent are you personally motivated to take up arms and change things? Because there are the, you know, the Dane Baptists of this world are like really militant and, you know, having an effect, I imagine. A lot of what we see as as the circuit continues to broaden slowly or more speedily a lot of that is down to individuals really banging on doors on behalf of other people. Yeah. Are you a kind of door kicker or are you a slipstream person or? I think I'm a Dane kick open the door. I'll be right behind you, babes. <laughs> <Person>. <laughs> I don't think I have the cojones or the, the thickest of skins to be the person that, cause he gets attacked a lot. He like, there's people that spend their whole day inboxing him, writing things about him doing things to him behind the scenes like that's I don't know if I have the mental stability to deal with that yeah um but what I what I definitely have this ability to do and the thickness of skin to do is support that all the time yeah. and just be like an ally to that all the time we I'm black it's not so much I'm an ally but you know just to be in that all the time I'll be in the ring with them I just don't want to be the first person to fight yeah just don't have it in me I don't but I, what I do for myself is make sure that when I do face any injustice, I highlight it, I talk about it, and I don't let it go until it's fixed because we shouldn't be allowing people to get away with, especially small things like stew. 
people that write me send me an email and spell my name wrong. That's just laziness. Whereas if you were writing to someone like a Russell Kane, you'll check to make sure if it's one L or two L's, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, do you yeah. see what I mean? There's, it's just yeah. the little things that they do. And then, oh, I just made an, an innocent mistake. It's not an innocent mistake. It's in you. I don't think it's purposeful. But these are things we need to be mindful of. This is so, and it starts there and it goes up and up and up. You know, like, like the review that I got from Steve Bennett about the hosting the comedy store. I, I genuinely believe he was trying to be nice. But he used words that would suggest I was aggressive and like a bully and all these kind of things. Whereas if I was a white girl, he'd call her empowered and she was strong. And But she's doing the same thing as me. So okay. it's about how you try to sell it or make it look based upon skin tone, right? Yeah. And as you said, when I host, I'm I'm warm, I'm lovely. So mm-hmm. how does he get too aggressive? How does he get yeah, there? Right, right, Do you right. see what I mean? Yeah, for That's sure. in him. Whereas if Catherine Ryan, who I find to be similar to me, she doesn't take no shit, she's really good, and you're still warm to her, she's wonderful, yeah. he would give a glowing review with different words. It's the same thing. And it's one of those things, isn't it, whereby you as the person who sees all of the reviews, you're like mm-hmm. the node, you get to point you get to spot the the same things happening over and over again. Exactly. Like like the kind of um the phenomenon of white people wanting to touch black people's hair. Right. From the what from the white perspective, that's like, wow, look at that amazing hair. From the black perspective, you're like, this has happened fifteen times today. Yes. So exactly. so it kind of you have a different take on whether it's racism or exactly what the word or what the kind of what the inflection is within racism that exactly. that is exactly you have a totally different experience of it exactly i mean i chose to take that as a good review because i feel like it was a good review of how i compare yeah. it's just a shame that some of the words were a little bit negative um when as everyone can see i was warm everyone enjoyed it and nobody felt attacked or aggressed or anything negative so why did he feel the need to go there mm-hmm So this is Tanya, joyous. What a joyous presence. She's such a laugh. And uh, if you listen at the very end, there's a, there's one key question I forgot to uh, ask her. So if you listen after the end credits music, or after even after the postamble, then um, then you'll be rewarded with that little extra nugget, which I thought I'd give Nathan a break and not make him stick in somewhere else. We'll just tuck it at the end to give you a little reward for listening. Uh, extra content and ad-free episodes from all the episodes that have it uh, at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. But this is the whole of the chat. We whizzed through this and a lot of fun it was too. Before we get back to Tanya, just to shout out for a couple of things the special that myself and mr larry dean are both taping uh, we're going through them twice nightly so to speak uh, on the 14th of november that's a friday it's in glasgow at oran moore um tickets i think are sold out for that but give it a try um google our names <laughs> why would anyone else give anyone a link just google it you want to see it google it uh, it's at the oran moore in glasgow and before then i'm doing a couple of bits and bobs which i'm hastily finding on my gmail calendar um yeah G- <laughs> comedians comedian podcast unsponsored by but completely reliant on gmail calendar um here we are what are we doing nope that's D. Uh, um hey we've got listen i don't normally mention people that we've got coming up before before they're on the show but we've got philippa perry <laughs> philippa perry wife of grace and perry um fantastic psychologist writer author and um i don't know really what i'm going to talk to her about but i'm so excited to talk to her we had some fun chat on twitter and i thought hey let's get you on as part of my i think that'll be a non-com pod that's a non-commissioned podcast 
that's not what it means. Um, but uh, uh, that's going to be loads of fun. What am I trying to do? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a bunch of gigs. I just want to whiz through some of the gigs that I've got coming up uh, over the next few weeks where I'm going to be running in some stuff ahead of that special. I'm going to be in uh, Mirth Control Bournemouth. There's a blast from the past, 16th of October. Uh, I'm going to be closing in Cheltenham on the 17th of October. I'm going to be in Leicester at Jonathan Elston's lovely Leicester gig on Monday, the 18th of October. This is God, it's, this is gigging has come back. And here's me busy doing all of the things I was doing before gigging came back. There's a lot on. Um, so all of those things, a quick shout out for the Weirdos Halloween show, which is on the 29th, 30th and 31st of October. That's at the Museum of Comedy, or at least ticketing is done via the Museum of Comedy. Not where, not sure where the thing is. Um, and this is what I was looking for. On Tuesday, the 2nd of November, I'm doing a work in progress. It's not a work in progress. It's a warm up. Let's call it what it is. It's a warm up at the Bill Murray at 6.30 p.m. So if you're London based, come to the Bill Murray uh, in Angel at 6.30 p.m. Uh, and I'm going to whiz through the hour. That's I think that might be the last run out that the full hour has. No, I tell a lie. 12th of November in Western Supermare. But it's the last London run out um, that that show is going to have before I take it up to Glasgow and shoot it on the 14th. So if you want to see the, the cut and shut show that was at Edinburgh uh, with elements of Primer from 2019, elements of um, End Of from 2018, those dates might be wrong. Those years might be wrong. Who knows? Um, then come along and see that. Uh, on the 2nd of November 2021. It's a Tuesday. It's 6.30pm, early start at the Bill Murray. It would be lovely to pack that out if you fancy coming along and seeing me off and waving me off as I go up to Glasgow some, well, let's be honest, 10 days later and uh, and uh, and do that show. So I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm really starting to get proper excited about it. And as you will know, um, if you've been following the socials at ComComPod in various places, that I have been working with uh, Mr Jimmy Carr recently. If you didn't know this, maybe it's because you're not on the mailing list, which you can join at stuartgoldsmith.com or indeed comedianscomedian.com. But um, Jimmy's doing, uh, he's written a book. It's incredible. It's called Before and Laughter. And it's slightly an autobiography. It's like one third autobiography, one third exploration of what comedy means to people in his time on the comedy circuit um, and one third self-help manual and it's genuinely incredibly good and I'm not being paid to say that um, maybe I should get him to pay me to say that that'd be good it's so good and he's doing this book tour at the moment it's called terribly funny he does an hour of stand-up and then I interview him for an hour in the second half it's like com-com if you imagine it being done in front of a thousand people many of whom are heckling Jimmy <laughs> so uh, it's really good fun we've got those left by the time you hear this we're in Cardiff this Friday uh, Birmingham this Sunday and then next Monday uh, we are shooting one in London which would be loads and loads of fun and a funny thing happened uh, two nights ago in Newcastle that I'll tell you about in the postamble. but for now uh, let's get back to the fantastic Tanya Moore just want to loop back to something that you'd said before about online gigs and the mm -hmm. fact of doing the clap and grand and i know you were uh i think you got up and running pretty quick right for, yeah. for online I mean, stuff you know i think we started online comedy probably people started it around april may i would say and at oh. first i was like oh my god look at these losers this is so embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people thought that yeah, not all of us like, managed to overcome these, that hurdle these guys are losers man who's gonna do online and then someone messaged me and was like tan there's a gig for 10 minutes and you can get a grand and i was like oh my god online sounds amazing and then i did it <laughs> and then i did it and i was like no it's actually really fun because yeah. 
there, there still wasn't any onus on you to be incredibly funny, but then there also wasn't any onus on you to just do stand-up. You could just mm-hmm. do stuff in your house and you could yep. explore different parts of comedy. Like, I, I think I even went down a route one time of, like, using props. I would never take props to a live comedy gig. <laughs> but I was at home and I had all these things around me. So yeah. why not? Why not try it? And that is almost worth more than the fee from that fantastic opening gig is the knowledge, yeah. the, the lack of fear, the fact you go, oh, it is possible to do this mm-hmm. and you can do what you want. Mm-hmm. And that puts you in a, in a place whereby you're six months ahead of the curve on even accepting that it's a thing. Yes, and I exactly. think there was a relatively small number of us who, like some people, some people didn't have the the opportunity because they had to go and drive a van or work in a warehouse, and we're very lucky not to have been. In, I'm lucky not to have been in that situation. Definitely same. Um, and uh, but of those who had the opportunity, you could see the conversations happening on social media of like, oh god, someone just asked me to do a Zoom gig, worst thing ever. That's not real. And then people gradually going, oh, oh hang on, I, I may have, <laughs> yeah, I may, have, I, may yeah. have, I may have misjudged this. <laughs> also, stand up's a muscle, and like every muscle, if you don't nurture it and keep working on it, it's going to die. So is I that, didn't. Do you know? I is didn't that Mister my... C again, or is that you? I'm fascinated. That's because me, the... actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love, I love knowing, like, we all have internal principles of where we get them from and what... Someone asked me this impossible question the other day. They said something like, um, can you give us a... Uh, can you tell us someone you look up to that isn't a stand-up? And I was like, no. <laughs> 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 what do you mean? Like, that's not my wheelhouse at all. Yeah. All of my principles, all the ways I think about everything are all just kind of suffused with comedy. I was like, I don't know, I can name some funny authors. Yeah. <laughs> not only the same thing. <laughs> But it is, it is. I mean, of course, of course, stand-up is a muscle. You have to keep training it. You have to keep using it. And the online gigs enabled us to do that. And as we were talking before, you then kind of ended up in this um, pretty early group of, oh, I'll tell you who does online. And suddenly you're, you know, that's part of the the great couple of years you've had, whereby, or a year and a half you've had, whereby suddenly you're in different conversations because like, uh, oh, Tanya will do online. And that's any, any means of standing out amongst the thousand or so pro comics in the uk it, it made me I, I told you 2020 i earned the most money i've ever earned in comedy it's really weird but i i was so thankful for that one offer of that gig and helping me push forward and making sure that i kept working because i think that's where mock the week came i was working still i was relevant my name was out there still they were still mm-hmm. seeing me doing stuff so i still had you know some kind of relevance in the scene almost i didn't just go into some people who i find to be absolutely outstanding comedians did no work and just kind of faded into the background which i yeah. think is sad that before we get on but i want to talk about mock next but but just on that do you think i mean that's quite a an interesting insight for any comic you were out there your name was out there you were sort of in the gang at the time you were in the conversation yeah and so have you had you made attempts before that or have you made attempts since to ensure that you remain in the conversation because that's one of those things you could say to a new act that I think would be really interesting for me I suppose I would frame it as 10 years ago or so when I started this podcast I felt like I'm contributing a thing and because I was contributing a thing other than just focusing on my stand-up, the world of comedy went, oh, look, there's someone else who contributes a thing. And so people would want to have conversations with me because they were contributing a, a different thing. And you just kind of raise your head above the parapet and become one of those people who isn't just completely focused on themselves. Yeah. I suppose 
another a, a, a different way of looking at that would be I was in the conversation somehow. Yeah. So that isn't something that I've focused on in my career. You know, I, I'm not like a social media pundit in the way that a lot of people are very good at doing. Um, have you had you made attempts before that or have you made attempts since to put yourself into the conversation to recognise the value? Yeah, I mean, since year two, I was really wild with it, though. I was like, I don't want a week to go by about my name being on a lineup. That was that was from year two. I was like, I don't want a week to go by without someone being like, oh, I saw your name on this lineup. I, I, I want that as a thing. Mm-hmm. And then as it grew every year, I just want I just found new spaces. Like now, I don't want to go so long without you seeing me doing something amazing. Mm-hmm. Just, I just don't. And can you it's... can you seize control of that? Can you are you, you in control of that? No, you can't. But what you can do is say it so many times that hopefully the universe takes it and runs with it. Manifest it. Yeah. <laughs> You can't control it, but you do. I work really hard and I try to, with my agent, we try to make sure that I'm in what would be considered the right spaces, you know, seeing around the right people so it helps propel you forward. And so that's kind of the drive for me now. It's making sure that, you know, doing glee clubs and all this kind of stuff, making sure that I'm being seen, you know, doing comedy store where there might be someone in the audience who gives you a nice glowing review so you get more followers and more interest from people who might not have recognised that you, A, still exist, B, Mm -hmm. even exist, you know, or C, somebody to actually look at, you know, these are things. Mm -hmm. So, and we need it if we're going to climb this ladder that we're on. So, yeah. So with your, we we sort of touched briefly on your... um your uh, predilection for hosting rather than writing, for improv rather than writing. So when you do write, I've kind of seen a few videos of your stuff. I've seen you host as well. Um, And when you write, do you write topical? No. So was it a surprise to get the call from Mop the Week? Yes. (laughs) Yes and no. Yes, because I was like, me? What? I haven't even debuted, right? And I think I thought that that was a post debut thing oh that's part of the lie that we all tell ourselves oh you I, have to go to Edinburgh and do a show yeah I did I really thought I was like there's certain things because I think my agents are just a, a witch and a genie at the same time there's certain things that I um didn't think would come so soon because I haven't done my hour yet right mm-hmm. but at the same time I know that she's tirelessly working on Here's Tanya's name. Here's what she's doing. Here's Tanya's name. Here's what she's doing. So at some point, the two must come together. I just thought it was going to come together after I debut. So I was like, after I debut, then I can start really looking forward to doing like Mock the Week and panel shows and like comedy ends and doing all this stuff and showing up and down the country and blah, blah, blah. But it happened before the debut. So now I'm like, do I even need to debut? <laughs> let's, let's, just stay, let's stay with that just for a second. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to think? Do I even need to debut? I love what I love about that is a good point. B, that speaks to a sort of stand outside it and look at it. I think we talked about this the last time we spoke. Yeah. That that kind of sometimes if you go left when everyone else is going right, that can be really really useful. Like what is the what is the value of a debut? If the thing that everyone does is go to Edinburgh to get it to start to get in with a chance of maybe creating a TV profile mm. and you've already got one, mm. is there a risk there? What if you go and debut and tank? Some people who are great have bad years. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so I rebuke this tank word. <laughs> I did think but as it's... I said that, I thought, wasn't that a sensitive way? I'm do you know what I mean? I'm just <laughs> Like, of course, I don't imagine that. But is there an element of risk? Oh, it's pressure. 
because not only is it am I debuting post TV performances, I'm debuting having been a comedian for such a long time, mm-hmm. which is normally unheard of because people in their first year, three or four years, some people who are psychopaths do it in their first year, but you know, in their three or four years, they've gone and they've done this hour and you know, they have success, then they move on, right? I didn't do that and I didn't want to do that. Initially, I was very adamant that I wasn't going to go to Edinburgh and do an hour in my first three or four years. I knew at that point I wasn't ready for what would come should I have a good run, right? Mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then fear hit me. It hit me that I was doing so well on the open mic scene, because it's such a great scene, um, that I was scared to go in other places and fail because people were expecting so much from me. So that hindered me for a couple of years as well. So that took a little bit more time. When I finally put my big girl knickers on and got into it, I was like, right, I'm going to do this. I'm ready now. I was about seven years in. I'm ready now. Let's go. Pandemic. Yes, got it. Yeah, yeah. So just coming back to this idea, just to to kind of uh, brainstorm, do a bit of blue sky thinking about the nature of you debuting. Yeah. Really, the only show that you that you would need to prove that you can do stand up for, if we imagine your debut is an hour of Tanya doing stand up, yeah, the only show is Apollo. Yeah. Everything else is personality driven, which you which you have in bucket loads. Thank you. And you can riff and you can do all that stuff. So, is there an argument that says your hour doesn't need to be an hour of stand up? Could your hour be an hour of riffing and play and showing off all of those things that would make you great on a panel show no no it has to be stand up because i have to prove myself i definitely have to prove myself and i want to prove myself i know i can do an hour of stand up i can do an hour of storytelling i'm a great bloody storyteller and my stories are there already the pressure that i find is making sure the right level of punchline is there that's that's where i find i'm probably my weakest like making sure the right level of punchline. I can write a punchline and get like a, <laughs> but I don't want to, <laughs> I want to, <laughs> so I, that's what I work So, with. So is that, that sounds like it's more about your personal quest than it is about the kind of career payoffs. Possibly. Because just, just as a thought experiment, mm. if I said, oh, you could do, do this, do this mad thing I've just invented, which is a, a non-stand-up hour. And if you do that, you'll get these six panel shows and it'll boost you. That wouldn't be enough for you. No. Because you would need to go out there and prove it to who? Myself, your dad, that I can. You, your agent? To me, that I can. Just you. Yeah, I can. It's, it's, remember, my weakest muscle, I say, is writing. Because I hate doing it. I took so long to get into it. And then, like I said before, I'm not as quick as some of my, my, my colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. I know that in myself. I know I can write good jokes. It just doesn't take me the same amount of time that it would take them. So... I still approach writing with a, with a little bit of fear, like, oh, my God, this is going to be a long day. I've got to figure out this new 15 minutes, and it needs to be done yesterday, and I'm probably going to have it done in two years. Like, For the benefit of the listener, Tanya has her head on her hand. Yeah. As, she, as she acts this out. I'm stressed. <laughs> <laughs> the stress is real. It's really real. I've got a big show coming up, so I'm trying to write this nice, fresh... 15 minutes not all of it new but a lot of it re- I want about at least 10 minutes of it to be new right mm-hmm. stress <laughs> stressful that's like my biggest stress right now yeah. bigger than my one hour and that's quite a that's quite a quick turnover for is it I mean I don't yeah. think of turnover in terms of like 
writing a new 10 for a thing that's two or three months away i'd be my turnover mind is kind of calibrated for you've got an hour you've got a year to write an hour yeah but so that is quite a you've got to get something that's closing good you've got to go bang 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 right this is as good enough to close a club and i've got a few months to write it right so and test it and still do all the other works that i do Yes. And so yeah. have you got to start tucking it into MC things? Have you got to stop MCing for a couple of months and switch to just I think doing what, sets? What so we're doing now is we're doing a lot less MCing and a bit more sets. And then I'm just going to go just jump to open mics and just hit 10 minutes, 15 minutes and just see how it goes. Okay. And are you going to work? Oh, so let's talk about the writing. Let's, let's, let's visualise you sitting down with your head in your hands thinking, oh Christ, I've got to write this 15 minutes. Yeah. Let, let's not visualise Let's not visualise that. Let's, let's not we, crystallise that as a necessary... It's going to be the truth. <laughs> but let's, let's not make that a foregone conclusion. But if yeah. that's one of the risks is that you end up in that kind of space, what's the, what are the tactics? Are you going to work with someone? Are you going to sit and chat with a mate and try and pull some stuff out? Are you looking back at reams of notebooks? What, what's day one going to look like? I've got... I've got I've, we started already. I've got uh, old notebooks out so looking at old ideas that maybe I wasn't qualified enough to make into something to see if they, I can make that into something now um, I'm very much the spider graph girl still so you have an idea and then you do all the bits on the outside of it and then you pick the best bits and then you really work that down write yeah. out the whole story take out what's not needed I'm still very much in the long form of creating jokes mm-hmm. um, and then it's taking that and then grabbing some friends, doing like a writer's room bit where I talk to them about it, tell them what I've got, and then just see what we can generate from conversation and then testing it out on stage. This is all good. That's That seems tried and tested, right? Yeah. That seems like uh, all you need to do is the work. Yeah, basically. Yeah, we say it like that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but, but still, like, so I feel I can tell there's still the little walnut in your stomach, which is like, oh, oh God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it still sounds very long to me. And I wish I could be somebody that could be like, right, I need 15 minutes. What's the subject? Bang, let's go. Right? Yeah. I'm even trying to write a poem, a funny poem. That's, got, that's got to burn a minute or two, surely. I mean, <laughs> you can get that down. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> if it's good enough, it'll burn five minutes with the laughter. <laughs> so tell me then, what was the process for Mock the Week? You got Mock. Do they, I think, they, did, they, did they assign you a writer or did you have a... Have a... You, no, you get some writers if you're okay. not like, you know, Athena or Dane. You get, they, they, assign, they give you names of people that normally do the show. Okay. normally help people with writing or you can assemble your own writers it kind of depends on you how much of your fee you want to spend really yeah, right yeah right um and then so i got uh four writers um from different spaces to have yeah. different ideas on the same take and i did my own bit as well and so when mm-hmm. we got to the show it's so funny when we got to show day i had one piece of paper i did all the bits then i riffed the bit because that's just what tanya does the bits that made tv was me riffing what was the bloody point <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there yeah. was like about four different pieces that were like written from um, somebody else, but most of it was just me riffing. What was the bloody point? Isn't that exciting? I think I, I like, I wouldn't have predicted that necessarily, but like, no. oh yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense, right? Because what's funny is you, as we were just as we've been discussing at length. Yeah, I was like, I'm not paying nobody. <laughs> yeah, how funny, how funny to be in that situation of going and pressure. Did you feel? Did it feel massive like a lot of pressure. pressure? Yeah, massive pressure. Despite the fact that you secretly don't want to be a stand-up. Completely. That's probably even more so why. I'm faking it. It's definitely imposter syndrome in some spaces where I'm like, 
I'm definitely taking up somebody else's space here. Somebody who's like oh, dying really? to be a comedian. That's really a very specific. That's a very specific um, uh, manifestation of imposter syndrome. Mm. It's, it's not simply to think I shouldn't be here, but I shouldn't be here, and my presence means someone else wasn't. Yes, definitely. That's hard. That's a, that's In not some a spaces, kind thing to say to yourself. Well, yeah, but it's honest. I mean, I want to be an actor. I've always wanted to be an actor since I was a child. It just so happens that doing all these things brings me back round to acting. So there's certain things that I have to do to get to where I want to go to. And so in some spaces, I'm like, like I haven't been invited back to Mock the Week. I've been told I will do. But it's like, I'm not mad at that because there's people that are dying to be on that show who yeah. are dying to be comedians and dying to be writers who deserve to be in that space more than somebody who just wants to be an actor. Mm-hmm. I've had my Mock the Week feels. I'm not a fan of the pressure. So I'd rather do the other comedy and shows. I, I loved House of Games. I loved As Yet Untitled. I loved Undeniable. I loved Question Team. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Loved doing that stuff where I could just be myself and barely yeah. do any writing. I'll be in that space all day. But for somebody who doesn't really like writing or who doesn't really want to be that person, there's someone else who wants to do that, have that. Did you just... On the day of the record of Mock, which I believe records for like three hours, yeah. Did you uh, did you have any kind of like ritual stuff that you did beforehand? Did you give yourself a pep talk? Did you have someone kind of like a sparring partner telling you you could do it, or like what was it like walking into the room? Um. Okay, I'm going to tell you a secret. I never watched Mock the Week. <laughs> I just walked in and I was like, this is fun. And everybody, everybody was just so welcoming, so nice, so lovely, yeah. so warm. Dara, you can tell that from like, watching that episode. It's yeah. so, these days, it's just a nice place it's to be. It's so chill. Dara, I want him to be my granddad. He's not old enough, but I just, he's got that vibe where you just want to run into him and hug him and you want to accept whatever <laughs> he sure. tells you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I just felt like, okay, I could just be myself. And my only mantra was just be you, Tan. That's all you've got. I haven't got anything else. Just be you. You've got these pieces of paper and you've got you. That's all you can do. Okay. And yeah. so did there was there when did you get in the record in terms of like timing in the record, when did you get your first laugh? Was there a moment when you went, I'm away? I was one of the first ones to talk, which was fun. And I got a laugh because I was riffing, obviously. So right. <laughs> I think Dara said something and I jumped on the back of it real quick yeah. and then it got a laugh right. and I was like, wonderful. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Now, now to start doing some other jokes that yeah. I that are, that are scripted now and that I feel. Yeah. <laughs> did you spot that at the time? Did you did you have an awareness during the record that the riffing was flying better than the stuff? And what was no. it, was there like an internal conversation? No, you didn't. No, I got. I was getting messages from my agents because they allow your phone to be right there, so you just put it off vibrate and stuff oh my god so, so your agent could text and were, you and go like do more do less they, were, they weren't doing that but they, they, what they were saying was is you look really good this is really good you're doing really well like i hope you're enjoying yourselves don't worry about it it's coming off really well so yeah i was like i was getting that's more beautiful. and more calm yeah oh my god they're they're wonderful people <laughs> just like what that's just an earpiece of affirmations throughout the record literally, like everything. <laughs> yeah, literally. what you so, need is a, an earpiece of laughter so that you could like play, you record. Okay, here's my system. You get a little secret camera phone. You put it down there. You live stream the record to a room full of your biggest fans, and you play their laughter in your head, and you stay happy for it. And you, and that's it. That would be a good idea. But no, it was nice to just get the messages of you're doing really well. Don't worry, don't panic. Like you, you're coming off really well. You look good on camera. So yeah, it was Great. nice. Yeah. Great. So 
when it comes to what you i think it's fair to say you regard the the writing as your kind of your not your weakness but your least Achilles strong heel. so you're Achilles Definitely. heel sure so what writers what comics would you like to have the writing ability of what kind of writers do you oh. most admire what kind of comics k kurd yeah athena <laughs> yeah um I like the way Dane writes, but I'll definitely keep my delivery. Slam. <laughs> <laughs> Not a slam. No one can do black Victor Meldrew like Dane. Like, no. <laughs> I say it to him all the time. He is the black Victor Meldrew. Nobody can sell that shit like Dane. Um, newer comics, I like the way Toussaint Douglas writes. I think yes. he's weird and wonderful. Yes, I saw things. him recently at a festival. He's fantastic. He's just yeah. fantastic. Um, and I like the, I feel like I have a, a kinship with Laura Smith. She's likable. She's warm. She's everything you want when you walk into a pub. And I think I'm likable and warm and everything you want when you walk into a pub. And yes. I think that she's new. She's still really funny. But once she starts putting her head in the bloody game, Jesus, we're all, we're all, we should be scared. <laughs> and what is it those, those people that you've mentioned purely in terms of writing what is it that you aspire to that oh sorry do? and jen brister jesus give us strength <laughs> excellent <sighs> excellent friend of the pod i just really i'm always in a position now whenever anyone mentions anyone if i know them or have seen them recently i'm like yes of course and then so i hear a name i don't know or a name i do know but i've just said loads of yes i'm like jen now i feel bad that i didn't immediately go oh jen she's great yeah, I mean, yeah. I, she knows she knows i think she's great but i'm just always in this kind of oh god i don't really been oh, laura smith i'm less familiar with and i didn't say anything positive. jeez what so what is it with these what aspect of the writing of a jen or a k or whoever you know what what is it that you're that you're aspiring to? i think they're all smart writers i think they're all they have they all have the ability to take nothing and turn it into something which i think is similar to like mickey Flanagan with his cockney walk no how did you how did you take a walk and make it into a whole three minute piece? He's yeah, just yeah. fantastic about it. Yeah. But I think they have the ability to take nothing and turn it into something. And I really appreciate that. That is nice, isn't it? Like, I love that when you, I remember seeing like the comedy stores, God, whatever it was, 40th birthday or something. And Michael McIntyre was one of the many, many uh, comics. And he just did a bit about windscreen wipers. He just did 10 minutes on windscreen wipers and we were crying. Right. And, it's just, that's yeah making taking nothing and turning it into something that's yeah. exciting james a caster i like what i like about him is his punchlines he tells you what the punchline is in the beginning you just don't realize it until he hits you at the end that is a very astute <laughs> observation yeah he tells you in the beginning especially with the one where he said i don't know i don't want to ruin it people who haven't seen repertoire but he does this bit about people who say oh, I was talking to this black person it's like you don't have to mention where they're from until the end yeah. then he goes yeah. into this story and, he's like, and that girl yeah. was Albanian and he's yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> come on you James to, you don't need to worry about spoiling uh, repertoire everyone everyone who loves James has seen that 12 times already yeah That's exactly fine. but I love that do you have do you have a favourite this is just for me do you have a favourite opening line of another comic I'm obsessed with opening lines I love the way people come on and meet the audience is oh. there, is, does that do you think in those terms or is that I mean if it's a non-starter it's a non-starter. I don't yeah no I don't think about that I th- oh no when someone goes on I genuinely enjoy oh actually Willy Robo not a fan of people don't really like him but he used to do this bit I don't know if he's still working but he used to do this bit where he'd go on and just sit there he'd just take some water he'd just look around and then he's like what when you go to work do you start straight away yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> That is a nice bit. Wonderful. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. 
Gun to your head, who's going to write you the best bit in the world? Gun to your head and infinite resources, right? You've got this thing coming up in December. You want to write the best possible bit. Yeah. You are allowed to make a secret deal with any comedian in the world to work with you to write that bit. I'm going between two people. Can I mention both? Yeah, of course. I'm such a rule breaker. Kay Curd and Athena Kublenyu. That's correct. And of anyone in the world? Yes. This is some loyalty. Yes. It's Kay Curd and Athena Kublenyu. And if I really was going to... Str- See, I'm a massive fan. I'm a big fan of Whoopi Goldberg. She's just not from here. And I don't know if it would resonate. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> You're right. I've set the conditions. Such yeah, that, uh, yeah. She's not yeah, from okay. here. I've been, I've been too clever if, with if the question. she's going to my hour, yes, lady, I'll <laughs> yeah. spend a year with you. This is wonderful stuff. But uh, she's not from here. I don't know if it would resonate. So if I'm, if I'm being honest about it right now, if I could grab two people right now to help me work on those 15 minutes, Kay and Athena all day. Because the smartness in their writing. The smartness in their writing and my delivery would be, and personality would be, gold mind. If you have one quality that got you where you are now, besides being funny, what would it be? Cheeky bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's the brazenness with which I do things. I think that's what I've been told over and over again. I just don't care. (laughs) Yes, I remember when we chatted, there were a lot of things that you would say and then you'd finish the anecdote with, Tanya, don't care. I don't care. No. <laughs> and what is that? What is it that... Why don't you care? Why Or why is it that other people care when you don't? Do you understand why other people care for things that, that, you, that, that Tanya don't care about? I think it's twofold. I think I might be on the spectrum a little bit. That's a thing. And then I think mm. that when I was a child, not that I think, I know, when I was a child, my dad always said to me, if no one likes you, fucking just be yourself anyway. And I've really held on to just going into every space and being myself anyway. So I don't care what you think. I'm just going to let you know how I feel because that's what I do. <laughs> And and that, in answering the question, that's kind of, that's got you where you are. Yeah. Do you think that the benefits of that are you can't make a mistake because you've always told the truth, so you can't trip yourself up? Yeah, whether you like it or not, you're going to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to hear so the do truth. So does that always, like if you're at some sort of industry event, do you remember them back in the day? <laughs> um, like, could you march up to someone that is being treated with reverence by people around them and go, I don't know who you are? Yeah. Are you that kind of, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to treat you like you're special. You, you, listen, you cut you, you cut me. It's the same blood. Stop being silly. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. I've never done it. Even when I've met celebrities, I've never done it. I've just been like, you're right, babes. It's just... I'm trying to imagine teaching myself <laughs> to behave like that. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine how I would feel. Because I don't, I'm not like... Certainly in terms of celebrity, I don't really yeah. get starstruck. Apart from one time I was in a room with Tom Cruise and I literally, it was like it was like I was on acid. It was like, this is hyper real. I can't cope Yeah, I mean, I'm um, that person. I'd be like, oh my God, you really are short, isn't it? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm and just some people if... you can see it on their faces like, she's talking to me like she knows me. And I do, I've followed your career. It's just you that don't know me. So you're the one who's, who's the, yeah, the weirdo yeah, yeah. here. Like, you've got to figure out who I am. I know who you are. <laughs> it is weird. On the, other, on the other side of that, it is funny being around people who are so famous that they continually... And for some reason, it's older. I think of people like Arthur Smith. Yeah. Like anyone that comes up and says hello to Arthur Smith, he'll just go, all right. Like, yeah. and who will just sort of... I guess it's part of being... I mean, maybe he just knows everyone. But I guess part of being famous is you end up treating people around you as if you already have a relationship with them because you're being graceful about the fact they have a perceived relationship with you i sort of love people i love seeing people do that 
I, f- I feel like I can see that for you when Definitely. 10 years from now, when you're uh, uh, doing whatever you're doing, what are you doing 10 years from now? If it all oh, works out according to plan. 10 years from now, I'm one of the world's best actors. Uh, I own my own performing arts school and I am the presenter of something amazing and maybe radio as well. And no stand-up involved in any of that. God, Joe, stop swearing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a sweary person, Stu. I'm very shocked. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably... All of those things are excellent. And also, that's the fastest anyone's answered that question. Oh, I, I, it's, That it's is a game heart. plan, right? Yeah. Oh, Everyone loves to... While. Even if they've got a game plan, stand-ups love to go, oh, I've got no plan. I don't, it's all just... Oh, I don't know. I'm just sort of bimbling through the world like that. You go, no, that's a plan. That's a list no, of things. I've had say this that, plan for a long time. Say those things again. Uh, I, I thought Emmy nominated uh, because I've uh, obviously I'm in the way Emmy, of, of Oscar, breath just won the every thing. kind of, of so I want a sh- I want a room full of awards award winning actor actor running uh, your own performance art school yep with a want, and what's what's that about for who for who is that like it's kids? people who don't yeah for children who don't really have the backing from their parents when I was growing up my mum wanted me to do a nine to five. And so I think if she'd invested in my talents, I may I may have been ahead of the game a little bit more than where I am yeah. today. But at the same time, um, having this background means that I am who I am today. So I don't know. Do I do I like it? Do I not? I don't know where I live with it. But I want to have a school for children whose parents might not understand that they have this desire to be creative and not to be academic because not everyone's academic, right? And what so was the third thing? Uh, to be a presenter of something presenter. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then possibly radio. <laughs> if I've got time. <laughs> I mean, I keep being told I've got a radio blade, so I might as well use it. <laughs> like, I feel like I don't have any doubt that you're going to get all those things. Thank and I you. don't know whether I'm just being charmed because you're so charming <laughs> uh, or like, and so honest. And so I feel like I'm not being buttered up. You're just genuinely, you've just got a load of self-belief. And you do yeah. see it happening in, in comedy that people even people without a game plan just suddenly take off and accelerate and get get to where we imagine from the outside they want to be at least or talent uh, no way <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah. um if those things don't happen how will you feel then what about we revisit this in 10 years you don't have any of those things how's your how's your mentality any different i can't answer that i don't i don't see it not happening that's a good answer I, I, I can't answer it okay let I me can't ask, see it let me Even ask when you I this try way. and close my eyes and look I can't see it let me ask you this way then in your life in your career presumably up to this point some things haven't worked some yeah. things haven't gone right how mm-hmm. did you cope with it then oh I went through the deepest darkest depressions and then when you get out of that feeling sorry for yourself stay just like you've got to shift the goalposts so it might not have happened in a time frame that you set for yourself but it doesn't mean it can't happen so what I stopped doing was setting time frames, right? Even though the question was in 10 years, I just stopped setting time frames. I used to have a thing where I was like, by the time I'm 40, no more grafting. I'm going to do all these things. I'm 40 next year. I still got to graft. <laughs> so, you know, but it's, it's happening. It's moving. So stop putting time frames and just accept that you just got to keep going until it happens. That's it. And regarding the deep, dark depression, how long are we talking? How long are we talking that that lasts? How long do you stay in it? What, what's the narrative of that? Because you are so, you have so much self-belief and so much self-belief, uh, Tanya. It's almost a relief to hear that sometimes you get sad when it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, uh, babes, do you know the amount of depression is project dependent? So if it's an active thing that I really want, I can spend a long time being really sad because that's the thing that I want the most, right? 
Um, so, for example, I was almost, I, I, I got down to like the last handful of girls to be um, Catherine Ryan's best friend in Duchess. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted the role, even though Michelle does a fucking amazing job. I really wanted the role. That same day, I was going to do like um, a gig that I, I, I hadn't been, I've been trying to get, I think it was Glee Club. I've been trying to get it for ages and I got it, but it, it was stand up. So whilst I should have been happy, I was like, no, but I'm really sad still because I didn't get the thing I really wanted. This is the thing that just helps me move close to the thing that I want. So great and that, but <laughs> I really wanted, you know, I mm. will never, I don't, it, it's project dependent. Not getting a stand up gig, I'm like, oh, they'll come back next time. Not getting an acting gig, I'm like, oh my god, can I act? Do I have talent? Like I go through this whole moment of, is it me? Has my whole life been a waste of time? Fuck it, I'm going Tesco's and I'm just going to be a cashier. They seem to be really happy in their lives. Like that's that's what I do. I go through that for a long time. One of the things I found hardest about being an actor, I was a I was a professional actor for three or four years, and I got really lucky. I did some rep. Right, like lucky, you know, you're lucky to be working. Yeah, and it was like old school rep at two of the only places that do that do rep anymore. And so I would spend like six months working on three shows in a theatre, and it was like proper acting. And it, I kind of went, oh, this is—I don't think this is for me. I think the reality of this isn't for me. I never did much TV, so maybe that would have been different. But one of the things I found hardest to cope with was that I couldn't tell when I was being good or not. And one of the most exciting things about stand-up is they're laughing or they aren't. I would, or they they aren't. I would qualify that by saying sometimes they can be laughing at something you're not proud of. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But right. sure. But with acting, how do you know when you're good? I would say, even though the room, when you're doing TV acting, especially the room goes silent. Even though the room has to be silent, sorry, when you're doing TV acting, there's a different type of silence when they're engaged. You can feel it, and that's when you know you're doing a good job. So much so that when you end the scene, there's a because <gasps> they forgot to breathe because I was there. The I was scene. there right then with you. Yeah, that yeah, beautifully yeah. put. Yes, you bring it in, and so they forget to breathe. So when you finish the scene, they're like, "Oh God, that was brilliant!" Because you can, they, they they don't want to breathe in case they miss something because you're mm-hmm. just doing so well. When you're doing stage play, there's a similar thing. Um, you either see them sinking into their chair because they're like, "Oh my God, this is crazy," or they come forward because they're buying into it. They just then their body, they're not even controlling it. It's just coming forward because you're doing such a good job. You can feel it. And so when you finish your scene, you finish your word, you finish your sentence, you hear them go, oh my God, like it's, it's really good. And that's when you know you're doing a good job. And why are you compelled to do a good job, to do a, to do a great job, to get the success, to get you stand up as a stepping stone, get the acting jobs, all of those things? What would it satisfy in you? I just think my purpose is to make people happy. I genuinely do. And I think I'm going to do that via stand-up, via acting, via doing radio, presenting. People who watch me always have the same feedback. You're such a joy to watch. I'd love to be your friend. I'd love to go for drinks with you. I love watching you. You're so warm. All of these things. I like hearing that. I like making people feel like that. And I think that's my purpose. I don't have any other purpose. No one talks about purpose. That's oh, great. I talk, I'm that idiot. <laughs> no, but, but I love good. it. That's good because that's software. Are you religious? I, I was raised religious, but I wouldn't say I'm the most religious. No. Okay. I believe because... that there's God. I believe in the, the scripture. I believe in all these things, but I'm not the most practicing. Pur- is purpose connected to your religion? Yes. Or is it... Yes. Yeah. I believe I that's what He sent me here to do. 
That is to make God people damn happy. it, that's good. Oh, apologies for that. Yeah, yeah. That is, uh, <laughs> that's good software. I, that is such. Yeah. I'm so. I'm so uh, in awe of people who who have that kind of software because that to have an idea of purpose yeah. from which all of this belief and positivity and all the rest of it can extend. And I tell yeah. you, it's not always you know sunshine and roses. I have my down days, but I think in my down days, there's a. So I've got this book, it's, it's right here. It's a gratitude book. It's from uh, a lady, she's a presenter called Romel London. It's called Love from Hugo's Gratitude Diary. And every day when you have a good day, you write down everything about that day that you really enjoyed. So when you're having bad days, you can come back to your diary and say, there's lots of things for me to live for. There's lots of things for me to be happy about and lots of things for me to be grateful for. And don't get me wrong, it probably takes me about two or three days to pick up the diary when I have a really bad moment, right? But I have to go back to remembering that. I have to. Otherwise, I'm somebody who, as a creative, you all well know, we can get stuck into sunken places for a long time and we're, we're stuck in it. It's like quicksand and you can quickly lose yourself in the negative or you can get yourself out of it. I try my hardest every time to think about the positive and get myself out of it. It's not always done soon, quickly. It takes a while. But I'm also lucky to have a nice village around me of people who are like, no, come on, Tan, stop being silly. Look what you did here. Look at your CV. Look at this. Look at that. There's people that would love to be in your position. Remember that day that you said to me, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to do this. Look at you now. You're doing the thing you said you were going to do. So I'm tr- I try to remember that whenever I have down days. Um, easier said, but I definitely try. Gratitude, yes. the village around you, the support yes. around you, yeah. the purpose. Yeah. And you also said before the time frame. Changing yes. the time frame. That's really interesting. That's a really, that's a really, that's the kind of probably the easiest takeaway from those for people who don't necessarily have the village or the purpose decided yet or those things. Yeah. We can all try, we can all try and cultivate the gratitude, but also just changing the time frame. I want this. It's not the time for it yet. Fine. Yeah. But I'm also a very literal person. But that's why I think I might be on the spectrum. I'm very literal. It has to be like whatever I say I do, I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. So I don't say yes to things that I know I'm not going to finish or I'm not going to enjoy or I'm probably not going to want to do because I can't half-heart I can't half-heart it. It has to be 100% or it's nothing. Are That's you happy? It. Very happy. Very happy with where I am right now. I mean, somebody happy for an acting job, but I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm just dying to act. I'm dying to be in like a reoccurring role in a sitcom. I'm dying to do a film. And I do have like all these side projects that are like, you know, personal projects, people on YouTube and stuff. But I want that like red carpet. Oh my God, we worked really hard on this. Look at, look at all of this stuff. Everyone come and enjoy it and let's all have a good time. I want that. Thanks, Tan. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> So that was Tanya. Thank you so much to her for coming along. You can find her on Twitter at Tanya Moore. You can find her on the internet at Tanya Moore. That's her name, Tanya Moore, which I stress is spelled T-H-A-N-Y-I-A. That's T-H-A-N-Y-I-A. But I'm sure if you search Tanya Moore comedy and spell it however you like, within reason, you will find her. So thanks again to Tanya. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. Good luck with all of it, um, especially the fun bits that involve ditching stand-up and running <laughs> and uh, and all of the, the acting stuff and everything else. So thanks to Nathan Wood uh, for producing the show. Thank you to Rob Smouten for the music. The logging was Jake Crossland. Your podcast consultant remains Peter Dobbing in defiance of his will. And um, 
what else thank you to you for listening to the show joining the mailing list at comedianscomedian.com or stuartgoldsmith.com uh, and uh, reviewing the show on iTunes all of that stuff what is the other thing that I haven't been mentioning for ages I don't know it's been nearly 10 years it's been nearly 10 years is that bizarre is that absolute madness have you been here the whole time I should organise something special to celebrate the 10 year anniversary um, and uh, maybe if you're a, if you're someone who has listened, if you're a com completist, if you've had all of them, which basically is Brett Goldstein and three other people I've never met, <laughs> then um, if you've listened to every single one, or if you've been listening since the beginning, we should at least do something special. We should do something special and welcoming for everybody. Maybe I should do a day. Maybe we should... I keep having plans for a conference. Maybe we should just have a bit of a meet-up and an afternoon in the pub, something low pressure. All right, leave it with me. I'll get on it. That'll happen sometime around mid-March next year to celebrate 10 years. Maybe, maybe me and Brett Goldstein will just go and have a pint somewhere if he's not faffing around in LA with his Emmy strapped to his forehead. Um, that's what I'd be doing. So that's all of that. I did tell you, I was going to tell you, I'll do the post amble now. That's the show. Goodbye. And here's the post amble. So um, I just wanted to say a funny thing happened. Me and uh, Sir Jimothy of Carr were doing uh, the the book tour thing uh, on Tuesday, last Tuesday, in the, I can't remember, is it the Tyne Theatre and Opera House in Newcastle? And uh, lovely, lovely venues, probably, I don't know how many, hundreds and hundreds of people in. But in the second half, Jimmy, it turns out, is complete. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. He needed a wee. And that's very unusual because normally he'll do an hour break hour. But of course, we'd done, he'd done hour break. We'd done an hour and then he stays on, does another half an hour of stuff. It's a fantastic, um, long and uh, completely invigorating and entertaining night. But it is a bit long. So in the, in the towards the end of the second section, he said, listen, guys, this is very unprofessional. I've never done this before. I've got to run for a wee. And he ran off stage. There's me tweeting in the wings, kind of idly keeping one eye, <laughs> one eye on the show. I, I'm like, I've got it. I run on with a mic um, to see a few people down the front taking the opportunity to leave because they needed wheeze as well. So they bailed. So I laid into them. That was quite fun. And then I knew I had like about 30 seconds. So I said, look, I haven't got time for any material, but just to wind Jimmy up. And this is, you know, any compare in the land will have done this format at some point, this device. I said, I'll say that his head fell off. Um, it's a running joke I have with my children. I'll just say, then his head fell off. You pretend that's something hilarious. Go absolutely mad and it'll wind up Jimmy and think, he'll think I've smashed his show. And they all looked up for it. Jimmy comes back on mid-sentence. So I said, oh, can I just do the punchline? He goes, sure. I say, and then his head fell off. And bless you, Newcastle, you raised the roof. <laughs> and uh, it is tremendously, it's like a badge of honour that's probably only happened three times in my life to make Jimmy do that laugh. And that was one of them. And it was very entertaining. So thank you to everyone in Newcastle for that. I'm not going to post Amble at you any more than this. I've been so busy zipping around the country, um, doing the resilience sessions, doing the thing with Jimmy. And um, and also in all of the gaps, in every available gap, writing down the show for ahead of the taping, trying to just punch it up, trying to take out extraneous words, punch it up, and then you end up with a script, which isn't the thing that's in your head. Then you've got to relearn the thing. So I'm going to get back to that now. So goodbye. Uh, next week, who have we got? Adam Rowe. Adam Rowe next week. It's a banger. Um, and uh, who's coming up? I've just just finished recording with Aaron Chen, and that guy knows jokes. Speak to you soon. <laughs>
We didn't even talk about your incredible shaved head, which I don't know where oh, I no. wanted to get into that, but what a fucking thing comedy-wise. What a move that is. What an opening gambit right. to walk on as a black woman with a shaved head. Oh, that's I, fucking, I love it. That's I fucking love great. it. I think, it's, um, I think it was the birth of me, if I'm honest. Really? Yeah. So because we should, have, we should have done this. But yeah, but why? We're still we're still on the backup recording. Tell me I why quickly. I spent a lot of time with my hair covering my face like this because I really yes. hated my face for a long, long time. Oh. Because growing up, people would always say, You look just like your dad. So in my head, because I'm a literal person, I look like a boy. Okay. So I didn't I didn't, I hated my face. It's like stop saying that. I don't like my dad, stop saying that. But everyone's like, Oh my god, your spitting image, you just got his face. And I'm just like, Oh, and they just meant isn't this great breasts. that you remind us of your dad? Yeah. Did, oh, yeah. Mate. <laughs> I'm so literal. That's how I took it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Very long time. And then I got to a stage where I was like, right, I, I was early 30s. I said, when I'm 40, I'm gonna just take the step and I'm gonna shave my hair. And I'm just going to deal with myself because when you're 40, apparently you don't care that much. So when I'm 40, I'll cut my hair and I won't care that much. That time just came earlier than I thought. It's 36 when I cut my hair. And you sh- did you go from long to shaved? My dreadlocks, yeah. Yep. Shaved them off. All off. And what was the first gig you did after that? Oh, what was the first gig? I, I think I went out first. I didn't have a gig. The first gig I did after that, I can't even remember. But everybody was, I'd, I'd, I'd already done a post. I was okay. like, let me just, yeah, let me just, I went to the hairdresser with a wig just in case my head was crazy because hairdressers just always say, oh, you've got a, you've got, you've got a big, big, big bit around there, isn't it? It's yeah, not down right, there. And I used right, to right. think that was a big, like, head, like a cliff. <laughs> like, it was just a lot of hair. So, yeah. <laughs> so you then, and you think it was the making of you because, um, it, because it enabled you what to... You... See myself, first of yeah. all, for the first time. But also I had to just accept who I was, what I looked like and how I presented myself to the world. Like that, that was the beginning of, this is me, guys. I'm just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> That's it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 